This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. In 2015, I visited the then-brand-new Cascade Record Pressing Plant right outside Portland. Since then, final pressing plants have been popping up all over the country. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label Kill Rock Stars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. Merch Table was created by musicians to help other musicians sell directly to their fans. For 15 years, they've worked with a diverse range of artists to deliver an exceptional customer experience. From projects as big as top 10 billboard ranking pre-orders to jobs as small as helping a band sell their first t-shirt, Merch Table can do it all. Visit merchtable.com. On today's show, I talked to several people who've started vinyl pressing plants in the last few years about the impact their plants are having on their communities, as well as the state of the vinyl marketplace. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. We're talking to Adam Gonzalves, Amy Dragon, and Mark Rainey, co-owners of Cascade Record Pressing. My first question for everybody is, what in the heck are you guys doing starting a pressing plant? This is so exciting. That's what we were counting on, <laughs> really. I mean, you know, for, for people kind of outside our circle, yeah, we sound like we're out of our minds. But with Adam and I's background in independent music, it just really made too much sense. You know, I, I've, I've run a label for almost 20 years. I mean, Adam's been an engineer for over a decade. You know, we both identified Portland as ripe for this type of operation with just having a very strong local scene, network of labels, independent bands. I mean, this, this has been a music area since the jump, since Louie Louie. You know, it's, it's kind of nuts that it hadn't happened already. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, to, to our knowledge, I mean, there really hasn't been a functioning pressing plant in the Northwest probably since the early 70s and never one in Oregon. So here we are. So these presses that you guys got, you actually got them from a plant in Canada that had gone out of business, correct? When we got the presses, the plant actually hadn't gone out of business yet. Oh, they were still operational, but yeah. not with all the presses. Yeah, and they were they were on their way out. So there was a, there was a lot of presses. And this was, by the way, the end of a very long trip to find presses. It's not like we opened the phone book and looked for presses and like no found, doubt. And found the Canada guy. Um, <laughs> so after, you know, Mark and I started talking about this in, in December of 2013. Wow. And then there was, you know, 10 months, 11 months. Oh, of, easily. Yeah. Of, of us <clears throat> looking, uh, you know, he and I checking in two or three times a week, following leads all around the world, the Caribbean, Africa, Europe, domestically, obviously. And so, yes, we these presses were purchased uh, from Rip V, which is now a closed plant in Canada. But I do want to make the point that it's not like we just called Rip V on the phone and we're like, we'll take, I don't know, six. And then they, you know, <laughs> and they packed them up in a FedEx box and sent them to us. Like right. it, was, it was a long, it's a lot of work to, to get them. Right. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about how you guys decided that this was really a viable option for you to actually start a pressing plant? in this day and age? Yeah, I mean, it was it was sort of a gradual conclusion that we reached. About seven or eight years ago, I was, you know, working at my label and sort of observing all the changes and the turmoil and just how, it, you know, sort of all the old models got thrown out the window in the music industry. And I actually ended up deciding to kind of pull back 
take a couple years off from releasing anything, and we opened a retail store. Mm. So I, you know, I had a few years of just sort of observing, you know, what our customer was was doing, what they were buying, and you know, when I opened the store, you know, there, I, I got a lot of advice from, you know, people who've been in the industry for a while, and they were all saying, oh, you've got to stock clothing and all these, you know, lunch boxes and all this other crap that I wasn't interested in selling, and you know, by trial and error, I found that wasn't the case, and that vast majority, over 90% of the, of the sales to the register were for vinyl. Mm. And I, you know, I saw that over the years that those, the numbers keep increasing, you know, and then there was the whole advent of uh, record store day right? and sort of tracking the trajectory of that as well. And just, you know, what I was able to, as far as the releases we started putting out again on our label, how we, you know, we went from, you know, doing, doing a lot of vinyl, but also kind of anchored by CDs and sort of CDs sort of paying all the bills and vinyl just being, you know, something we were doing to keep it real and where our hearts were to totally abandoning CDs and becoming a vinyl-only operation, pretty much. You couple that with, you know, just, you know, when I'd be talking to my peers and other people who run labels and just sort of hearing the uh, horror stories of what they were enduring, you know, as the, the demand for new vinyl increased and as, you know, more and more of the domestic plants, especially just getting completely congested and especially for the smaller indies. I mean, just, you know, the the the, the labels that had been, and the, op- the types of operations that had really kept the vinyl industry alive all through the downturn, you know, being kind of shut out because the, the majors were back, you know, it, just, it seemed like an opportunity. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think the point can be overstated too much. Now that, that vinyl's hot again on a broader scale and Urban Outfitters and Amazon sell a lot of vinyl and you have, you know, there's represses of Fleetwood Mac rumors. Right, which does not need to be repressed. Right, but you can get you can get that record at, that is it, correct. in any record store on the on physically on the planet Earth, and yeah. maybe a couple on the moon for a dollar. Yes, and you know there's movie soundtracks that are double or triple disc, or you know all this kind of stuff. And the people, our people, who were sustaining vinyl through the downturn, which frankly are indie rock, metal, punk, hip hop, and dance music. Those are the people who made vinyl and who bought vinyl. Right, rain or shine. Very true. For through my lifetime, we were there. Yeah, they're all getting squeezed out because it's it's more appealing to you know take an order for thirty thousand units than it is to take an order for a thousand units. Okay, so let's say Warner, whoever owns Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. comes to you guys and says, "Listen, I just we love you guys. You have to put out this. You have to run this fifty thousand copies of Rumors or whatever." What would you say? Well, first of all, Stevie Nicks would actually have to come. Yeah. That would be that would be con- <laughs> con- totally contingent to make the deal. But uh, nothing to that scale. But we have had, because of Mark's history in the music industry and his history with the label, we've had interest from larger parties. And, you know, so far it's kind of been a thanks but no thanks situation. Again, going back to the people that we're trying to serve. Thankfully, there are, there are plenty of independent artists and labels who need records made. And... Part of what got us in this, and by us, I mean the music industry and vinyl consumers and music lovers, part of what got got us in this situation where at some plants a record takes six or eight months to make is, you know, this just saying yes to whatever comes in the door. Like, oh, yeah, like uh, the Great Gatsby soundtrack double LP. Like, we need 100,000 copies of that. Like, yeah, man, let me catch that check. So we're our attitude about what releases we're going to accept for record store days is part of that. You know, we don't like telling people no, and I'm not going to put a hard line in the sand and say, you know, we will unilaterally reject this type of job because every job is different. But there's there's people out there who are interested in helping, and we want to help them. 
And that's, I think, why, aside from being a good friend of Mark's and wanting to help, that's where I wanted to be useful and why I kind of got involved. Because in Amy and I's capacity, Amy, in, in addition to being the assistant plan manager, is also my assistant at Telegraph Mastering. She's, she's an engineer as well. We, you, you notice all the, the difficulty that clients have, super long wait times, mm-hmm. like not good customer service. I mean, Amy could probably speak a little bit more to it. I think it's daunting for a lot of the people that we talk to, a lot of the independent artists and smaller labels that are just, I think, surprised, some of them still, um, who maybe haven't put out a record in a while, or just daunted at the times that they have to wait and all of the things that can happen to their detriment when they can't get their release out in a timely way. Amy and I had a client last year where like, they've shipped records with the wrong labels on them they've given clients the wrong record oh my god you know you I've open up it's too. like your your correct jacket and you take it out you're like this is another band's record yes. like how did that <laughs> happen and and frankly you have precisely zero leverage yeah there's uh, nothing you can do there's nothing that you can do if right. you if you have a relationship with someone at the plant and they are nice to you or maybe take pity on you then congratulations you won but getting you know, from what we were being told, like getting somebody on the phone, you know, who gives a shit is harder and harder and harder. Right. And to clarify, those of us, as you said, the labels and the artists that have been sustaining the vinyl resurgence in the last 10 years or so, we press 1,000, 2,000 copies. Yeah. You can't compete when Sony comes in with 30,000, 50,000 copies of something. I mean, how can you expect to be paid attention to well, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect to be paid attention to if you're if you're if you're. Well, neither do I. But I'm saying yeah. that would be their rationale. One yeah. would assume. I mean, there's uh, last summer there was a, a a plant that we were sending lacquers to, and they you know they were getting back to our clients and saying, oh well, we just accepted the job for the the Kiss reissue catalog. They're repressing every Kiss record. The whole catalog. Yeah, and so they're just like so you know so their 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 wait time. I mean, they straight up told the client on the phone. They're like. Yeah, you're not really going to be able to get your record here, mate. Man, I mean, you know. Yeah, how about just go somewhere else? Kind of, yeah. Wow. And so so we made that other place. I mean, and we're really hoping to, or planning on being informed by our experience through this whole process and, and sort of, you know, we know how we don't, we as customers didn't like being treated as plants. So we're kind of taking a, a cue from that as far as how we're going to interact with the people we're running jobs for. That's very exciting. Um, Have you found, Amy, especially in dealing with people, with customers so far, are mm-hmm. people just so excited? People are so grateful and so excited. Honestly, just that I picked the phone up and I'll spend time <laughs> talking to them or just customers that have come by for various reasons and Mark will spend time talking with them about all sorts of things from how to work their label and or um, if it's a customer who's kind of new with this, just taking time to explain how this all works mm-hmm. and how they can help us get their record out the door faster because it's it's really a bit of a relationship that there's, you know, we can, we can press the vinyl, but there's lots of other parts in motion that we don't have control over. So helping them understand that so that it's a little bit of a two-way street, I think they're really just thankful and it's fun. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we're just really from the gate, just trying to have an open, honest conversation with the people that call here. They'll say, well, what's your turnaround time? Or when can you get it by? And I go, well, well let's, let's look at this from a different angle. What are your deadlines? Right. Like what exactly are you trying to accomplish? What do you need? You know, and they, maybe they give us a date and we go, okay, well, how much flex is there in that? Let's, let's see if there's a way that we can work this together. 
Maybe it means a little bit more work on your end. Maybe it means us doing things a little differently than we might normally. But um, if there's a way to figure this out, yeah, let's, we will accept this job and let's do it. And if we can't, you know, we tell them up front rather than, you know, we don't want to start off, especially, you know, with all our, all our customers are new, but with a new, with a new customer, you don't want to start the relationship off by lying to them or misleading not. them. I mean, that's, that's bananas. It's not yeah. going to work. And, yeah. you know, for every, I mean, so much of the process of vinyl straight through from, from cutting all the way to delivery is like the key to this is expectation management. And thankfully there are a lot of very young people who are very enthusiastic about vinyl. That enthusiasm is real. And you don't want to jump down on that at all, but you do want to have a frank conversation with them about this is how long this is going to take. Do you have, are you guys, you know, booking a record release show or a tour? Okay, well, Amy would be better to talk to you about this, but it's like, here's how we should line that print up to make sure that it gets here when the records are being pressed so that records aren't pressed and sitting for two weeks while we're waiting for your jackets to show up. And that if you've never done that before, that's not something that you would know. See, I'm fascinated by that because mm -hmm. that suggests that you guys are having an educational component to this, which also implies that you have new people doing this, which to me is blowing my mind that people are every day getting into the record business. You're like, which part of, you know, this business has been collapsing do you guys not get? And yet here we are, right? It's, gr I mean, certain areas are really growing. They really are. And I've been impressed by how many independent artists have called and or walked in here that have never done this before and are willing to take it on and learn and figure out what's involved in getting a lacquer cut and how to work with an engineer and the fact that we don't do electroplating here and that happens elsewhere and all of the little steps involved in getting their print here and what's involved in that and how they can help us out and what we can do to help them get things done in a way so that when they're ready to go, we have all their parts and pieces here. We could press their run and, and get it out the door for them. That's so cool. Yeah. So we've been speaking to Adam Gonzalez, Amy Dragon, and Mark Rainey of Cascade Record Pressing. Thanks so much, you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for coming.
That was Not Like Any Other Feeling by The Thermals. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. Want to know more about music management? Check out the Managemental Podcast, hosted by Blasco and Mike Mowry. Each week, the veteran artist managers bring listeners their take on the modern music business, answer fan questions, and showcase new music with an eye towards developing artists. Look for Managemental on your favorite podcast app. Ben Blackwell is my guest today. He is the psychedelic stooge at Third Man Records. Ben, welcome to the future of what? Thanks for having me. So that's your official title? As official as we get for titles. Yes. We kind of by design, no one has a has a descriptive title here, mm-hmm. like a job description title. Right. The theory is you don't want it to limit what people actually do themselves. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. At my label, my description is label dude on my business card because <laughs> I figured that's adequate. <laughs> that's enough. Yeah. That's fair enough. But yeah, we have one of my employees just says bad cop. Nice. Oh, that's so, a good one. Yeah. So we've got three point specialist. We've got golden boy clock cleaner. <laughs> we've had undertakers and robots in disguise, shapeshifters. Excellent. Um, it's one of the more fun things that we have here in the label is people get to pick their own titles. Okay. So our labels are definitely on the same wavelength. I can see. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, Third Man is is a really fun label to talk about in general because, I mean, you guys have, besides putting out some really cool records and some really experimental, interesting stuff, you guys have experimented a lot with packaging, which has been really cool to see for especially, you know, I have this whole theory that this like, I mean, not, we're not post-internet, but we're post like exciting thinking the internet is going to do something for us era. Right. That was a very long sentence, but you know what I mean? Yes. And I feel like what has kind of happened is we figured out that the marketplace today is almost like super serving the super fans. It's like, it's okay to take a chance and do something wacky because even if only 200 people want to buy it, you're still going to sell 200 of it. So it's like, you might as well do it. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I feel like I, I remember I was talking with someone, this was a couple of years ago, who was trying to dissuade someone from putting out a record. And his whole thing was, you know, I think the person was saying, I just want to press 200 copies and, and cover my my costs. And this guy who'd run a label was saying, you can't cover your costs at 200. Like, it's just when you figure in what you pay for this, this and this and this, it's just never going to work. And I remember it was all on message board, great message board, punk politics. <laughs> but I just chimed in and said, you can totally cover your costs. You just have to charge $6 wholesale for it. Like, it's not it's not impossible. Right. And this guy, he just couldn't fathom seven inches being $6 or whatever, whatever the break even price was. Right. And now there's a lot of people are probably at $6 wholesale when you see things in shops for nine or 10 for a seven inch. Well, sure. I mean, people are doing cassettes in wooden cases with, you know, embossing or whatever woodworking. <laughs> you know, it's like it's a cassette. You should you should cost two bucks. Yeah. But it costs 20 but it's gorgeous and people are buying it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, totally. One of the things that's also similar to that experience is that I feel like we are, you know, because people are, are getting more into these sort of boutique items, there's been obviously a, a resurgence in vinyl and a consistent interest in vinyl. And you guys have started a pressing plant recently. Yeah, we did. Which is hilarious and awesome. Congratulations. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd for years 
When describing third man, I would say, you know, basically our approach is DIY, whatever we can handle ourselves, we will. And then people say, well, why don't you have a pressing plant? It's like, oh, having a pressing plant is crazy. No one wants to own a pressing plant. <laughs> but it just got to the point where it actually didn't seem that crazy anymore. And we were doing everything else. It just was a natural extension. So even not exaggerating, two and a half, three months before we actually made the decision to do a pressing plant, I had someone who had presses available for sale reach out to me. And I said, no, I just have no use for that. That's really doesn't interest us. And then three months later, I'm like, man, I wish we would have bought those presses then because now it's going to be a pain to try to find some. But it all worked out. So where did you find some? Because, you know, we have a new pressing plant, relatively new. It's a couple years old now here in Portland called Cascade. Yeah. And uh, Independent, the secretly pressing plant in New Jersey, they got their presses from the same place that we got ours in Canada. Yeah. Where'd you guys come from? I think Canada called me first for some of the presses that they unloaded. Because they, the, whoever was in Canada said, you know, I could sell these wherever, blah, blah, blah. But I think, you know, I would like you guys to have them. And it was just unfortunate that I wasn't ready to, to make that leap yet. Right. So we ended up getting our presses from a company that was making new presses in Germany, a company called New Build. Oh, wow. We got some of the first new presses they made. I think they made... One or two that went to South America, and then we got eight of them in Detroit now. So Amazing. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, I I think it's alleviating one of the major headaches of running a pressing plant, which is antiquated equipment. Or just equipment, antiquated isn't even the problem if the company that made it still exists. But when all these presses are made by companies that went out of business 30 years ago, you can't just call them up and say, hey, I need this screw or I need this, you know, widget or whatever piece. You have to go and make it yourself or, or take it, you know, take it off of a parts machine or something like that. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely challenging. Yeah, absolutely. So with a new company, you just say, hey, we need the screw. And like, All right, we'll send it over. Take care. That's awesome. So you have eight presses. How many of them are online? All of them. All eight are running. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So how many new jobs did you guys create? That sounds pretty cool. In Detroit, the goal is, I think right now, we're we're on pace to have, once we fill out the shifts, we should have just in the pressing department alone, because we also have a storefront slash venue Mm -hmm. in the space, but just for manufacturing alone, it'll be 50 jobs in Detroit. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's nothing to poo-poo. It's important, you know? It is important. It's important. It's it's not building a new car factory, but to those 50 people, that's food on the table. That's $15 uh, starting wage. That's benefits. Yeah. It's a very progressive, forward-thinking endeavor and operation. And I'm, I'm proud of it. I mean, I'm proud to be able to say that when my wife gave birth back in September, I got three months paid paternity leave. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's, That's pretty, pretty amazing. And we even do for for women here, they get six months paid maternity leave. So we're, Sweet. we're really, really trying to do the right thing, you know? Yeah, we're on we're on the same tip. It's Kill Rockstars. We raised our, you know, minimum wage to $15. Our interns make $15 an hour. You know, I mean, we're really also yeah. trying to do the same good thing. And it's interesting to me because I feel like, you know, these are the hidden benefits of the music industry that people don't see. You know, it's like when you think about how music enhances a community, it's not just the actual like playing in a venue. It's actually all of these other things like the jobs and the community that are really important. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree 100%. So what's next for you guys? What have you guys got going on? How many records are you guys putting out per year? What's the general amount? I think the last number I looked at, we just crossed over to about, this is our eighth year. Mm-hmm. Or eight years since we've opened. So we're I guess we're into the ninth year now. But we're at 
450 some releases, I believe. Wow. <laughs> so we're kind of almost at like a release a week. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's pretty insane. And it's also insane when you realize that probably 90% of those records stay in print. Only the records that we do as part of our fan club, The Vault, those are the only one-time pressings we do. Everything else is meant to stay in print forever. Wow. So even if we only have, you know, two people order it a year, we still have a box of them on a shelf ready to dispatch for mail order or distribution or anything like that. So 450 across, you know, most of those 450 stay in print. And these are all, there's no digital only releases. These are all existing in at least one physical format, if not two or three. Wow. Wow. So, it's making me tired just to think about it, Ben. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> making making you question your warehouse spacing, isn't it? Yes, yes, it really is. So you've also tried some interesting things. You guys did a press a record in a day. <laughs> yep, three and a half hours specifically. Yes, with United. How did that work out? Wonderfully. I mean, if you're willing to pay the money for a plant to just press your records on the day that they're usually off then it works great. It's amazing. (laughs) It's been told there's some sort of outfit in Germany that claims to have beaten that record by like 20 minutes or something like that, which is frustrating because the entire time we were pressing the record, this was 2014. We did a record store day, 2014. Right. But the entire time we were doing it, I kept on thinking like, we could, we could shave off five (laughs) minutes here, 10 minutes here. So if, if it ever comes to blows, I think we could probably hit three hours if necessary. Wow. Well, yeah. I'm not going to fight you. But now that you guys have your own <laughs> pressing plant, I think you can probably do what you want <laughs> and make that work if necessary. Awesome. Well, Ben Blackwell from Third Man Records, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for being with me on The Future of What? My pleasure. was Doubt by the Corin Tucker Band. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. 
Kill Rockstars has partnered with Merch Table for almost six years now, and they've come through for us in a lot of ways. Like when the comedian Kurt Brownoller wanted a face towel with his face on it, Merch Table found a way to make this, and it's been one of our most popular items in our mail order store. KRS loves Merch Table. You're listening to The Future of What? We're talking to Cash Carter and Ryan Lewis from Kindercore. Guys, welcome to The Future of What? Hello. Hey, thanks Thank for, having for having us. Okay, so this episode is about vinyl and how a bunch of pressing plants are opening around the country. So I wanted to talk to you guys about what inspired you to start Kindercore Vinyl. Well, I think, you know, we're all big record fans and, you know, have been listening to vinyl. I mean, I that's how I grew up listening to music. I think most of, most of us did. And I, along with Dan, who's a partner in Kindercore Vinyl as well, ran Kindercore Records back in the 90s and into the 2000s. And I think, you know, we were we were thinking of things that we could get behind and, and new ideas and, and things to work on. And sitting around with Cash, the idea came up to open a pressing plant, and it just seemed to make such sense to try and do something here in Athens, which is such a music town, but really has a lack of real music infrastructure here, like music industry infrastructure. And there's such a need for high quality pressed records with good customer service, because those two things are just really missing in the current field of pressing plants right now, at least what we've been able to encounter. So just wanted to come in and, and try to see what we could do with bringing high quality records and really great customer service to people. Cool. And then how did you guys go about getting, because I've been talking for this episode, we also talked to Ben Blackwell from mm -hmm. Third mm -hmm. Man Records because they just started their own final pressing plant. You know, so the question is like, where do you get presses these days? So one of the reasons I moved to Athens was to, I'd become friends with Ryan and was wanting to do something with Kindercore. And during this time, I was, I had a friend named Michael Dixon who runs people in position to know the Lay's Cut Records label. And talking to him about wanting to do a pressing plant, possibly, I've been kicking around the idea for a couple of years. And he introduced me to Dietrich, can't pronounce, his last name is Hanneman, I believe. And I was talking to him, and he was helping me look for old presses. They found a couple of Miami, a couple of overseas, things like that. So we're talking to Ryan about this, talking to other people. Just It was an idea I was kicking around about a pressing plant. And he was like, well, why don't you wait a couple of years? Because I've just partnered up with these people who used to make medical equipment and we're thinking about making brand new presses. And the company ended up becoming Viral Tech that makes the new warm tone presses that we're getting from them. So it was just happened to be that I knew Michael Dixon through friends and I had become friends with him. And he introduced me to Dietrich who ended up brokering the deals with us for the presses that we ended up getting. Yeah, and the, the viral presses, the thing that excited me so much about it is when like, Cash came to me with the, and actually sort of funny, Cash came to me originally and was like, hey, we should start Kindercore again. And I was like, yeah, there's no f***ing way I'm doing that. Like, I'm done with the record label. Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> and so, and like, I just laughed or whatever. And then he was like, well, what about a record pressing plant? And I was like, hmm. Then I thought about it. I was like, yeah, okay. So, you know, like you said, we did, we looked into getting old presses and various ways that we could do that. And, you know, one of the issues with that is just, you know, like backward looking technology, you've got machines that were designed and built 30 plus years ago. So you're looking at having to have people on staff who can basically just keep your machines running. And so the thing that was so exciting about viral is that these are newly designed, newly built presses with digital sensors and everything's automatic. And it really, takes the quality and consistency of the record pressing up a level and just sort of sort of like, uh, you know, the first modern vinyl presses. And so to me, that was one of the things that was the most exciting is that we could get into this, not just kind of limping along like, 
what people have been doing, but really taking a step forward with quality and speed and efficiency and everything. So that, that to me, I think is really great to, to be at the forefront of that. Yeah. There's another one I thought also in Germany. I can't remember what it yeah, there new is. Build, that, right? Those are really cool, but they're also based off of old designs. If I'm not mistaken, they are not from new designs, whereas the viral warm tones are started from the ground up, redesigned from the ground up. They've got a digital interface, yeah. digital sensors. They're automatic. So that's definitely what made me want to wait a little bit longer is that it's really exciting to get these newly designed, designed from the ground up presses. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of them on Instagram. They actually look really different from the old presses. Mm-hmm. Too. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're really nice. Yeah. And much safer for the press operators, too, which is exciting. You know, I'm I'm excited about not having anyone lose their hands or get things crushed or, you know. Yeah. (laughs) I think that that's actually funny. When you talk to the uh, insurance people, that was a concern, Ryan. It was actually one of the things when I, you know, looking to get business insurance, they were like, well, you know, how often do the employees have to stick their hands inside of the machinery and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, actually, you know, these are built with a plexiglass cage around them. Like if you open the cage, the thing shuts down for safety reasons. Basically, you can't get in there. They were like, oh, well, that's fantastic. And so apparently our insurance is cheaper because our employees don't have to handle the hot vinyl or stick their (laughs) hands inside the cutting machine. So that's good. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So they, I mean, that's, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, if old machines and new machines are, you know, if if they're if the price point is higher on the new machines, but then they're safer. So then you have less insurance and, you know, other. There's a few. I mean, yeah, they're safer, higher, they're more efficient. But I, honestly, they're not that much higher. That was one thing that struck me with. And one of the reasons I wanted to wait is the old presses are a little bit cheaper, even the old ones, not the new built that are that are of old design. But they're not that much cheaper because the old ones are so rare. And a lot of people know that the uh, presses are all, mo- all the old ones are falling apart. So there's not that many of them and they're very coveted. The ones that are out there that they aren't cheap either. <laughs> so it seems worth it to me to spend the extra little bit of money and get a new one. Yeah. Yeah. This is fascinating because I've been talking just over the last couple of years. You know, I've, the first interview I did with a record pressing plant was, I think, two years ago with Cascade Pressing right here in Portland. Mm-hmm. And they had gotten some of those machines that were from Canada. And a bunch of the other of those machines went to independent records in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you were saying, the actual man who had run those presses for years went with them mm-hmm. to New Jersey to run their yeah, right. factory. So, yeah, it's it's like you're saying. I mean, they're kind of like these babies that mm-hmm. need you know, constant care from an expert, (laughs) someone who can really take care of them. Because if they, you know, and then if nobody's making parts for those, you know, how do you make new parts when they they break down? Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely a problem. I mean, one of the things that is attractive about viral is they have a year warranty and they, you know, it's all networked. So if there's a problem, we see it, even if we're not at the plant, say someone else is working, they see it as well. And they have, technicians who will come down you have a year warranty with them so i don't think there's any other presses that have that right now that's exciting and and yet the, i guess the the flip side of that is it's new technology so we're not 100 percent sure of you know how it'll hold up or whatever i mean that's i guess always people's concern sure yeah, yeah. i think that that's true yeah although we've seen you know the nice things about these is they've been in use for a few months at a couple of places and they have already adapted some of the, like in real world practice, when they figured out that a couple of things, oh, it'd be better if we did this to them or whatever, they've been able to go back and change those things. So I think, you know, we're getting in at a good point where it's already sort of a second generation of them that have been through some 
real world practice. So yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. I, I like being involved in something like that. That's sort of at the foreground of a new, of a new era in music pressing. Absolutely. And, and we were the, we were the first to talk to them. We were the first in line, but we made Dan, who part of the team who helped Ryan start uh, kind of core the label as a molecular biologist and he's worked with these machines and stuff. And he made it very clear, like we do not want to be the first ones to get these machines. We don't want to be the guinea pigs. So we tried to let the first couple of ones off the, the line go elsewhere and so that we could see what what's going on and what needs to be adjusted and things like that. So we're getting the second generation of them. Cool. So do the viral presses, do they use the same vinyl that everybody else is using? They do. And one thing that's interesting though that we're working on, like Cash just mentioned that Dan is an engineer, we he was one of the people that was instrumental in the invention of biodiesel back in the 90s mm. and has been working on alternative fuels and replacements for petroleum products in different applications. He's been working on that for quite a while now for actually since we started Kindercore, he was working on it back in 96. So I had the idea, you know, that records are made of PVC, at least partially. And so is there a way to get rid of that petroleum? Is there a way to make records without having an oil product in them? So I mentioned that to Dan and that sort of pie in the sky idea of making records that were made out of renewable materials has progressed to the point where we're working with the University of Georgia to basically invent a new way of making vinyl out of renewable materials. And the first thing we'll be doing is getting rid of some of the harmful byproducts, things that are in the plastics, so that in the beginning, we won't have gotten rid of the PVC yet, but we'll be starting to work with different elements that when heated are actually bad for the press operators. And so by replacing those will be, you know, and also they are pretty big strain on the environment when they're being manufactured. So by replacing that stuff, we'll be able to get pretty close to out of the gate, we'll be able to get with records that are less toxic to the people manufacturing them into the environment, and then eventually moving towards completely replacing the petroleum. Of course, that's going to take some time because we don't want to sacrifice quality or durability or anything in order to do that. So yeah, it's it's really exciting that we're, we're just getting started on that aspect of it, which will be really cool to be at the forefront of that. Yeah, and it's, it's also one of the, what you said about them using the same PVC. That's why it's an uphill battle and, and why we have to really keep on is because it is PVC, but it's got to be specially blended and made for records because the machines, you know, if you don't use the correct formulation, then, then it'll mess up the machines. So that's something you have to keep in mind as well. And, and so, you know, they built these machines specifically to use the standard PVC. Although there's only a few companies that make the pellets specifically for records. So that's something we've got to keep in mind while we're, reformulating this new plant-based PVC. Right. So how many presses do you guys own and how many are you planning to be running when the company is like all up and running? We have three that are being manufactured by Viral for us right now. Our actual space and our infrastructure will allow us to increase as time goes on, but we're starting with three presses running and we're looking at being open pressing records by the end of the summer, probably late July through sometime in August, somewhere in there. Yeah. Cool. And how many people do you guys predict you're going to employ in Athens with this new plant? We're going to have, we're going to open the doors with four full-time employees, and then we'll be bringing people in, working part-time to do assembling and packing stuff, and then we'll add to the staff as, as needed from there. One of the things we're trying to do, which is really important to us from the beginning, is to do this so that even for the part-time and temp jobs that we're paying what's considered a living wage here in Athens, which is $12 an hour. And so, you know, if you look at most of the jobs that musicians and people 
in this town wind up working that do any kind of traveling or touring or anything like that. They wind up working in restaurants in kitchens for like $8 an hour. And so it was real important to us to try to, even with our part-time employees, treat people the way that they should be treated. Definitely. And I think that that has been, I mean, everyone that I've spoken to across the board in the music industry who's starting vinyl pressing plants right now has said that. And I think that's an aspect of this that people aren't really noticing. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to help bring that to light is that, you know, all this stuff is actually creating jobs yeah. in these communities and these music communities and helping out our community and also, you know, the general economy. Absolutely. So I think it's awesome. I'm so glad you guys are doing this. Thank you. Yeah. It's been the funny part has been, you know, the city in the beginning when we were working on this, you know, nobody wanted to have a meeting with us. Everybody was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. And now that it's come together, suddenly all these industry people in town are like, oh, yeah, no, this is great. We're really excited. We're so supportive. And it's like, uh-huh, sure, guys. <laughs> but, you know, it'll be fun to have a seat at that table now, you know. But they'll have to let the weirdos into the to the Chamber of Commerce meetings now. I know. See, we're infiltrating yep. everywhere. That's right. I like it. You know, <laughs> also pointing out $12 an hour is, is, is nothing to uh, sneeze at here in Athens. It might sound like not much elsewhere, but Athens is a very, very, very affordable, one of the uh, cheapest cost of living places I've ever lived. So that's actually pretty good. And we're not going to exclusively hire musicians, but I'm sure musicians will be the ones who want to work with us. And it's so hard for musicians to get a job. They're working part-time with us and you know they can go on tour if it's part-time and then come back and as they're needed, have jobs again. You know, I think it's pretty important to us because we're all musicians as well. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, I've noticed that at Cascade, you know, I went down there to the first time to see the operation when they were just starting out a few years ago. And then I went down there, took my parents down for a factory tour because my stepdad loves factories. (laughs) And it was just packed with people. I was just like, whoa, check it out. There were like so many people working in the warehouse. I thought, wow, this is a really a benefit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's something real exciting about this for us. Cool. Well, good luck, you guys. Thank you so much, Cash Carter and Ryan Lewis, for taking the time to talk to me today on The Future of What? Yeah, thank you for having us.
That was Cascades by Horse Feathers. You're listening to The Future of What? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. We're talking to Sean Rutkowski from Independent Record Pressing. Sean, welcome to The Future of What? Thank you. So, Independent was put together by Dave Hansen and Darius Van Arman, right? Guys who work at record labels. Correct. Yeah, both those guys you know, have been dealing with vinyl record pressing for years, and they saw the constraints and capacity and found some presses up in Canada and decided to make an investment. Yeah, and it's some of the same presses that came from the same factory as our Cascade record pressing here in Portland, right? That's correct. I mean, those presses have quite a history. They started out in New Jersey, actually just a few miles from where we are. They were built there. And then in the late 70s, early 80s, they were at Hub Serval, which was a pretty big pressing plant here in the States for a number of years. They closed down in 2006. Then they got shipped up to Canada with Rip V. And then at that point, then uh, they came back down here and split up between us, Cascade, and then Brooklyn Vinyl Works out in Brooklyn, I think, is the other place that got some of those. But you got the you guys got the special deal, right? Because you got the guy who knows how to fix them? Yeah, Dave Miller was the one that actually helped. Uh, his family was in record pressing for years. So he actually helped us get this plant up and running. I mean, his family had been record pressing for years. So he helped us get this plant started with the owners and got the presses up online. We got into our building in February 2015 and got the presses here. And then we, in August of 2015, we pressed our first record. And then in October of 2015, actually shipped our first order. So Wow, awesome. So it, it's, it's been an interesting ride. We got a pressing plant open in less time than some people took to get actual records. <laughs> That's incredible. And how many jobs have you guys created with this factory? Right now, we're under 50. Mm -hmm. So we're close to about 40 employees at this point, you know, a mix of part-time and full-time. You know, we've had a healthy rotation throughout the years of people. I think that's one of the things about record pressing plants that doesn't get thought about that often, but I think it's really cool is that it's, you know, it brings jobs to the community and it brings income in. And, you know, it just, I feel like record pressing plants are sort of, fueling communities right now, especially slightly alternative communities. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, really that's the, and probably if you talk to any plant in the country, finding good people is probably their biggest challenge, not only on the press side of things. I mean, running a press requires a special, I mean, there aren't too many people out there that know how to do it. And there really is so much to it, both on the science and because these machines are, you know, are pretty old, it's, they're not all, uh, you know, it's not push a button and walk away and watch. And so you need a really a special type of person that can work on these machines. And then even on the assembly side of things, putting records into jackets and jackets into sleeves and there, and then sleeves into jackets and then download cards. I mean, you know, it sounds like mindless work, but, you know, I have to tell people all the time, it's not mindless. It's repetitive, but not mindless. If it becomes <laughs> mindless, then you're probably going to mess up. Right. Yeah. You probably don't want to keep doing that. So what are some of the challenges that you found in the last two years of being up and running? Well, I mentioned one of them, just people, you know, just finding good people, good motivated people who are excited to learn and, and do something different. And then there's all just the variations in vinyl. There's so many different components to it. It's a lot of problem solving. So things like ambient temperature outside makes a big difference in pressing a record right now. It's 96 degrees here in New Jersey. It's not an easy environment to be pressing records in. So making sure you get the water temperature cool. And then you've got 
a lot of vendor variances, who you're getting your stamper from, the consistency in stampers, consistency in raw material, our vinyl compound. We've had issues where we've gotten contaminated vinyl. And it takes you a minute to actually figure that out. You've got to go through a couple different, you don't notice it right away. And then when you start getting records that don't sound great or don't mold very easily or just having trouble rolling the, uh, the plastic, it's, you know, you have to kind of go through this process of elimination. Is, is this a stamper issue? Is it a material issue? Is it a temperature issue? So it really is, apparently, from what I understand, vinyl record pressing is the most complex form of compression molding that there is. Compression meaning just squeezing plastic. Right. It's the most precise form because you're putting a very small needle into a groove that reproduces sound. So the little things can make a big difference, you know, where record sounds. Right. But really just the amount of the complexity of the whole of the vinyl manufacturing process has really been one of the biggest challenges and consistency, just consistency across the board, whether it's employee consistency, whether it's material consistency, whether it's temperature consistency. I always tell people, our machines, just think about a, a 1970s Camaro that you got. If you open up the hood, you look in it, oh, there's the engine, there's the oil pan, there's this, there's that. It's very easy to look at it and see what goes on, but you're constantly having to work on it. Right. So it's just, I mean, there's always something. I mean, we are just telling someone here, it's always something, it's always mm. something. Yeah, definitely. And it's sort of, I mean, you know, it's like that in every aspect, I think, of probably everyone's business, because I feel like I say that a yeah, lot. Yeah, exactly. I don't, <laughs> don't want to pretend that what we're doing is, you know, a black science or anything like that, mm-hmm. but it's a black science. <laughs> A black science. That's funny. So do you feel like we're at market saturation now with the number of presses that have popped up? Or do you think there's still more room for growth? I think there's actually still some room for growth, less on production side, but more on some of the less tangible things like customer service and turnaround and things like that. I mean, one thing that's become real clear to me since I've been doing this is just the emphasis on customer service. That game needs to be upped in in the vinyl business overall, Hmm. just understanding customer need and being able to kind of roll with the punches in this industry. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. I've been in the music industry for a long time. And there are certain things that when you deal with artists and sort of the nature of, of an artist and sort of the, they're not process driven. So all those things that go on in an artist and, and, you know, trickle down through the whole process and you're not always going to get your art on time. You're not always going to, you know, you might get a jacket and then somebody suddenly realizes that the credits are wrong and you kind of have to be able to roll with the punches. It's never changed in the 25 years I've been doing this and I don't expect it to change because the, the people creating the art, art that's not how they're wired in in a way that's not really how we want them to be wired but the trickle-down effect is to really be successful you actually have to understand that and be able to to be flexible to a certain degree with that within this manufacturing process that we're we're doing which is a pretty standardized you know manufacturing is a pretty standardized thing lots of people do it all the time right so i do think there's opportunity but i think it's less capacity driven as much as customer service driven at this point if that make if that makes any sense that that's just my gut on there and and i think if the industry does a good job i don't want to say constraining capacity but I always feel like you need to live, leave a little bit on the table. I think that's part of the allure of the vinyl right now is the fact that it isn't the easiest format to get. So I think people are hungry for it when it comes out and feel like that they're getting something special 
that you don't feel when you buy a CD or you download something. It really is part of the experience. And I think as long as an industry, we understand that, value that, and not always, instead of looking at how do we cut costs, I think it, we need to look at how do we make the vinyl experience better for the consumer. Maybe people are not doing downloads instead of streaming. Maybe people are streaming instead of doing downloads and you're not seeing redemption on download cards. I think it's things like instead of taking away download to reduce cost, I think we have to think about, okay, well, there's still a $10 value of that download card. Maybe they're not using it, but it's still a $10 value to the consumer. How do we actually, what do we replace that with to keep that value perception high? Mm. You know, I think that all plays into what, the capacity of it. I think it, as long as the demand is there, I think there's always going to be room for new players. And, you know, as long as we have, keep a focus on customer service and we make sure that they're consumer getting value on the vinyl. That's interesting because when you said customer service, I immediately thought about labels being your customers, you know, us yeah. being your customers. But you were sort of talking more about the end product, the consumer. Yeah. I mean, labels are our customers. But it's also, you know, from the label perspective, it's it's also making sure that on the label side of things, making sure that the actual end, end user is it feels good about what they're getting. Right. Of course. Totally. But that's, that is interesting because from my perspective, you know, I feel like that's totally a thing. You know, it's like if you deal with a pressing plant and they're hard to work with and they're they're not good communicators and they can't tell you where you're at in the process you know, your prob- your production person is probably going to be like, you know, maybe we'll try somebody else next time. Well, absolutely. And and that's, you know, that's a real challenge on our side too, is because consistency at all plants is, you know, I've talked to enough plants across the country to know that we all share very similar problems. And the inconsistency is, is absolutely one of them. I mean, each, each of these machines seems to have their own personality. <laughs> it's like, oh, you can't run this kind of record on this press. Or, oh, you know, color runs really well in that press. Or, you know what, this one, I mean, really, it truly is. It's sort of a, a funny thing. But it, I think a part of our process, too, is taking the time with the customer, with our labels, and I'm explaining to them, yeah, this is what's going on. It might not be always ideal, but, yeah, this is the reality and not, trying to avoid problems when they occur right? and just facing them head on because labels make a lot of decisions based on, you know, day and date and street dates and delivery of goods and, and things like that. So it's important to communicate and, and throughout the whole supply chain process, meaning we are in very close communication with a lot of the distributors that we end up shipping to. So, you know, if we run into some sort of issue, we can actually, we can get ahead of it a little bit. Understanding what's going on in the, the overall marketplace of the record. Things like that all factor into being able to provide solid customer service. On both ends, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Is there anything else that you have going on that you think is worthwhile to talk about from, you know, that perhaps people listening wouldn't really know about vinyl record pressing? I'll give you the one thing that everyone that comes and takes a tour of the plant is always surprised about who've never seen vinyl being pressed. Mm -hmm. The labels are not glued onto the records. They're pressed in there. (laughs) (laughs) Every single time someone, we take someone on a tour of the plant and they see that like, what, they're not glued on? Nope. They're physically pressed in there with a ton of pressure can keep the stick a label into warm plastic really well, better than glue. So. Wow. Yeah. And the thing that I discovered when I was touring Cascade record pressing is that whenever you have those cool like splatter vinyls or, or any of those different patterns, they do that all by hand. Yep. 
That's amazing. So those are like unique, one of a kind. Every one is like a work of art. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this about vinyl in general. Because each piece is being individually manufactured, I mean, each piece is kind of, even say a single color run, I mean, really each piece is, is unique in its own way. And I think that's just one of those cool things about vinyl. It really is. There is a lot of attention. Those records get treated with love and respect through the whole process. I mean, from getting taken off the press, we go through and we have a QC process where we're listening to records all the time. Our QC guys, by the end of like a 10,000 unit run, can't stand listening to the first <laughs> 10 seconds of any song. Right. But, you know, from the attention placed on, you know, making sure that the sound is okay, then it goes to our sleeving table, making sure that, you know, there's no visible abnormalities to the record or sort of the, the, uh, looking at the aesthetics of it. So then making sure it goes into the jacket correctly with the right components. And then I really want people who, that work here to, to sort of respect what we're doing. And really, I think we're, we're doing something special. I mean, I, I really feel very passionately about that. And I feel like us as an industry, if we treat our product like that, then, you know, I think I feel like that trickles down to the consumer because I, I just I, I believe that. And, and I feel, uh, and I, I really do believe that's part of the reason why we've seen such a resurgence in vinyl. Wow. Well, that's a great place to end this interview. So Sean Rutkowski of Independent Record Pressing, thanks so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good one. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard The Thermals, The Corin Tucker Band, Horse Feathers, and of course our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.